0: Hi, this is filmmaker and author Michael Moran. Whenever I'm not riding my bike around the Davis campus, I'm listening to KDVS, College Radio, right here, FM. This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. Today is going to be one of those shows where we tidy up some loose ends. We're going to go through and and, and Trying to debulk this backlog of articles. And when we do this show, we often have a huge pile in front of us, and sometimes we just can't keep up with the pile. So today will be a day to debulk. We will, I think, just start out as we so often do with uh, this day in history. Uh, On this day in history, June 23rd, 1985. Eric Hayden won the first U.S. Pro Cycling Championship, a 156 mile race. Hayden turned to cycling after winning five gold medals in speed skating at the 1980 Winter Olympics. And Dr. Hayden is currently an orthopedic surgeon here in Sacramento. Used to work out of my gym. Man's got legs like tree trunks. And on this date in 1969, Chief Justice and former California Governor Earl Warren, who led one of the more liberal phases of the U.S. Supreme Court, resigned his seat. Warren Berger became the new leader of the Chief Judicial Office of the United States and shifted the court to the right. You know, in a future program, somewhere down the line, we're going to, I think, address a couple of California's more illustrious governors. We've been talking for some time about talking about Hiram Johnson, and I think talking about Earl Warren would nicely bookend uh, that segment to uh, coming to a uh, radio sometime, uh, sometime later this summer. And uh, this date in history in 1948 marks the birth date of Clarence Uncle Thomas, U.S. Supreme Court Justice, put on there to give Antonine Scalia two votes. With the imminent stepping down of uh, William Rehnquist, we shall see whether the Chief Justice will be, God forbid, Mr. Scalia. Our, our quip uh, for today's show will come from The Onion. Uh, their list of top inspirational hymns, <laughs> which I liked four. First was, This cross was built ram-tough. <laughs> also, Jesus Christ, look at this place. (laughs) Lord, thou art not made up. And my personal favorite, A Mighty Fortress is our Lakeland Heights Community Christian Church. I hope that to some of you were able to catch a, a wonderful show that uh, that we were able to do over on Insight yesterday on KXJZ. I was quite thrilled to have been joined by at the same time Senator George McGovern and NPR senior news analyst Daniel Shore. The men apparently go way back, and uh, Mr. Shore wanted very much to uh, to to be on with George McGovern. That was that was most enjoyable. We also spoke with uh, uh, Bill Turner, who appeared on this program a few weeks back, and again, uh, uh, Bill basically reiterated what he'd already told you, the KDVS listening audience, about what he knew about Mark Felt. The man uh, unveiled uh, late last month as the mysterious Watergate leaker, Deep Throat. Just as you can archive uh, Radio Parallax and all of the other public affairs programs on the KDVS website, you can likewise go to capradio.org insight and, uh, and listen to one of uh, those programs. I hope you will do that. Um, very, much, uh, very much in keeping with our, our discussion of Watergate yesterday was uh, the Tom Tomorrow cartoon, This Modern World, on in last week's Sacramento News and Review. And, of course, cartoons don't necessarily translate well in the radio, but, but I, I want to try with this one. The premise was the cartoonist Tom Tomorrow, also known as Dan Perkins, uh, combines Watergate with the modern era for satiric effect, noting historically inaccurate hijinks ensue. Uh, they start out with uh, June 3rd, 1973, with Bill O'Reilly in the first frame. All right, this John Dean character claims to have discussed this so-called break-in with the president on, I don't know, a couple of occasions. What is he, a pinhead or what? (laughs) Another pundit saying, Bill, everyone in D.C. knows that John Dean hates America. (laughs) Next frame, Joe Lieberman, October 20th, 73. Look, if President Nixon wants to fire his special prosecutor, that's his decision. I believe the Democrats should always give the president the benefit of the doubt in these matters. November 17 1973, and I remember this, I was driving in Pennsylvania that night having gone to the Watergate hearing, so I guess that's why I'm especially fond of uh, this cartoon. That was the night Nixon said he's not a crook. They have Hannity and Combs in this, in this cartoon saying, these Nixon haters just want to hurt the president. They don't care how much they damage they do to our country. Don't your liberal friends understand we're at war with terrorism? I, I mean communism. The Alan Combs character is going, "Hey, look, the president said today he's not a crook. That's good enough for me." December seventh, nineteen seventy-three. Upon the this is the corresponding to the revealing of the mysterious eighteen-minute gap in the in the Watergate tapes character one. According to the right-wing blogs, there's no evidence that the so-called 18 and a half minute gap is anything more than an uncomfortably long conversational lull. And so on and so on. I think, I think that Dan Perkins nailed that one. Apparently a few weeks back, uh, Ewan McGregor was quoted in the London Mail on Sunday as saying that he just never really warmed up to playing Obi-Wan Kenobi for the Star Wars trilogy, said he did it mainly to please his two children, and he really didn't care much for Star Wars fans either. He said, quote, they have big meets and conventions, and I I find it a bit frightening. Once this guy met me at the stage door when I was doing a play in London, I was signing autographs, and the guy yelled, Obi-Wan! I thought, here we go. He shouted, do you have any advice for a trainee Jedi? I just said, no, don't be so ridiculous. (laughs) And uh, luckily for this program, The Week magazine arrived on my doorstep uh, yesterday, which allows us to do one of our all-time favorite bits for our program, The Good Week 4 bad week for a section from the week magazine. It judged it to be a good week this week for professionalism after a Tampa pizza delivery man shot in the leg by a would-be mugger made four more deliveries before going to the emergency room. And I gotta tell you, I'd take my hat off to that guy who wanted to make sure that his customers got a good, fresh, warm pizza before he tended to his own wounds. <laughs> you know what? We're gonna try and get that guy on the show. Mark my words. We're gonna try and find that man and talk to him. All right. The, uh, the Week magazine judged this week to be a bad week for what it called The Child in Question noting that magician Penn Gillette chose to name his newborn daughter Moxie Crimefighter Gillette, And for my money, that should constitute child abuse. That is just, that is incredibly lame. You know, I know Dweezil and Moon Unit Zappa seem to be coping, but why saddle your child with an extra burden like that in life? The Week magazine judged it to be... This week, a bad week for precision. After the organizers of Chicago's Lakeshore Marathon accidentally added an extra mile to the course. (laughs) It's hard for me to fathom how someone can get the most basic element of a race wrong, said runner Hugh Maynard after (laughs) completing all 27.2 miles. You know, in a marathon, or they train, they know. (laughs) They must have known that last mile was bunk. I mean, it must have been a bad moment. Boy, you just have to wonder if a guy was in the lead after 26.2, and then he fades in the stretch in the last mile. Ooh, I'd like to know whether that happened or not. All right, we mentioned a couple weeks back uh, the trial of uh, the Russian millionaire Kordovsky, who apparently uh, raised the ire of... uh, Vladimir Putin by attempting to fund a political party that might be in opposition to Vladimir. Um, the summary from uh, Moscow's Novia Izvestia, which I presume is the, the heir of the old Izvestia, uh, which was an organ of the Communist Party, Um, as quoted in The Week magazine, noted that, that the defendants in the case sometimes actually laughed out loud at the preposterousness of the accusations against them. And even when the judge began pronouncing the verdict, there was very little drama because she droned on for 12 straight days, the longest reading of a prison sentence in Russian history. And a final item from this week's The Week. Apparently, the influential conservative journal Human Events polled conservative luminaries and recently produced a list of books that cause the most damage. These are the most harmful books to society that came out of the 19th and 20th centuries. The results are somewhat eye-opening. Screeds by Hitler, Karl Marx, and Mao Zedong are ranked alongside works by John Dewey, and sex researcher Alfred Kinsey. Kinsey's book, Detailing the Sex Practices of Americans, in fact, is ranked the fourth most horrible book of all time. Betty Friedan's seminal work on feminism is ranked seventh, just behind Marx's Das Kapital. Other harmful books earning dishonorable mention include Freud's Introduction to Psychoanalysis and Darwin's The Descent of Man. The anti-Semitic fraud, Protocols of the Elders of Zion, didn't make the list, even though it's been used to justify countless pogroms and was a favorite of the Nazis. However, Unsafe at Any Speed, by Ralph Nader, and Silent Spring, by Rachel Carson, which uh, evidently led to such horrors as seat belts and the Clean Water Act, uh, <laughs> are on the list. Jonathan Chalt, taking note of this in the Los Angeles Times, said, If you don't see the link between arguing for individual rights, exploring scientific mysteries, and constructing a brutally repressive Bolshevik terror state, then clearly you're not thinking like a conservative. Here's an article we made passing mention of recently. I want to hit again, an article from the Sacramento Bee, a federal judge... Question, what was behind the government's decision to dramatically reduce the proposed size of nationwide stop-smoking program? This is one of the penalties recommended in a racketeering suit against tobacco companies. The government asked U.S. District Judge Gladys Kessler to require the companies to fund a five-year, $10 billion program, a fraction of the 25-year, $130 billion program, suggested by the government witness Michael Fiore, a University of Wisconsin medical professor. The Justice Department called the $10 billion program an initial request that could be expanded, but Judge Kessler said that there may be some additional influences being brought to bear on the government's decision. Gosh, do you think? All right, here's an item I'm pretty sure I didn't tell you about, which really struck me a few weeks back. Um... New Scientist magazine noted that an Asian food market may seem an unlikely setting for a major zoological find, but a rodent intended for the kebab skewer is not only an unknown species, but is the first member of a whole new family. This rock rat, or kia noao, as locals call it, was spotted by Robert Timmons of the New York-based Wildlife Conservation Society in a Laotian market. It was for sale on a table next to some vegetables, he said. I knew immediately it was something I'd never seen before. Uh, the creature has been dubbed Leonastes, uh agnimamus or stone-dwelling puzzle mouse. Looks like a cross between a dark, large rat and a squirrel, but it's actually more closely related to guinea pigs and chinchillas and has been given its own family. Now, the last time that uh, a new uh, a new mammal family was uncovered was in 1974 with the discovery of the bumblebee bat it was noted that to find something that is so distinct in this day and age is just extraordinary for all we know this could be the last remaining mammal family left to be discovered Now, the Holy Land has had an awful lot of fakes lately, so I'm a little skeptical about the announcement that Israeli scientists have succeeded in germinating a date seed that is nearly 2,000 years old. The seed, nicknamed Methuselah, was taken from an excavation at Masada, the cliff fortress where in AD 73, 960 Jewish zealots died by their own hand rather than surrender to the Roman legions. The plant's now 11 inches tall, and they're testing it for DNA. Uh, Radiocarbon dating supposedly showed the seed to be 1,990 years old, plus or minus 50. So the seed dates from between 35 BC and 65 AD, just before the Roman siege. I want to follow up on that one. I do wonder whether the people that say, oh, those dates on the Shroud of Turin that showed some medieval fake, oh, those are those are way off. But hey, this date, we know this date goes back to nearly the time of Christ. Yeah, well, we'll, we'll see. Interesting uh, discovery from our sister campus, the University of California at Berkeley. Astronomer Jeffrey Marcy using the giant 10-meter diameter Keck telescope on the island of Hawaii Examined a dim red star in Aquarius, known as Gliese 876, and discovered that it's got a a small, they suspect, rocky-type planet getting kind of close to Earth size. Uh, There is a solar system um, orbiting this uh, this dim red star. This is the third planet that's been found to go around it, but unlike the others, which are gas giants like Jupiter, this one is getting down toward Earth size. It uh, has seven times the mass of Earth and about twice the diameter. Well, the, the twice the diameter is, is a guess. It might actually be three or four times the Earth's diameter, but it's getting, it's getting quite a bit more Earth-like than, say, Saturn. Most of the planets that have been discovered orbiting other stars tend to be uh, hot Jupiters, things that are very large and uh, orbiting very close and therefore uh, uh, pretty much uh, boiling over. We had a a wonderful talk also on uh, InSight two days ago with UCD Professor of Astronomy Pat Bashar and Dr. Bashar I think will uh, be coming on this program uh, in some time in the not too distant future to talk a little bit about uh, some of these discoveries out there. And I'd like to reiterate something that we brought up on that program. You need to go out and look west after sunset, because uh, two days from now, apparently Mercury and Venus are going to get so close, they're going to be virtually indistinguishable. That's something I want to see, and I think uh, you're going to want to see that too. We mentioned a couple of weeks back about uh, product placement, uh, apparently in the New York revival of the Neil Simon musical Sweet Charity, a line that once read, A double scotch again, sir, has been changed to Grand Centenario, the tequila. <laughs> for a payment rumored to be between 500000 and and $1,000,000, the play's producers even agreed to fill the stage for one scene with crates that are stamped with the grand centenario logo well our governor arnold schwarzenegger has apparently taken this uh, this thing this use of product placement a step further there is a 30 second spot out there promoting the governor's ballot initiative uh, that's set to constrain state spending uh, features schwarzenegger talking to californians are sitting around a cafeteria table And prominently displayed on the table are bottles of Arrowhead water, uh, Diet Pepsi. In the background, there's packages of Cheetos, Sun Chips, and Ruffles. Uh, By the way, all Frito-Lay products, uh, Frito-Lay being uh, being part of the Pepsi family. And, And incidentally, all potential targets of Schwarzenegger's call to ban the sale of junk food in school campuses. Article in the San Diego Union-Tribune on this phenomenon noted that in movies and TV series, this uh, product placement is all the rage, but it is virtually unheard of in political advertising. Article by John Morelia, staff writer, notes that the Schwarzenegger camp insists that the appearance of products in the ad was merely happenstance. A spokesman for the companies involved said they did not authorize or Pay for the exposure, but they have no objections either. Political professionals and academic analysts find the situation curious. Why can't you see what you do? Take a short break. I'm Douglas Everett. This is Radio Parallax, and you're listening to KDVS 90.3 FM, Davis, Sacramento. Would I still see